Several weeks ago, we began a series which uh, we've entitled, How Can I Know the Will of God? How Can I Know the Will of God? You know, George Truitt, who was a tremendous man of God, he said, and I quote, To know the will of God is the greatest knowledge, to find the will of God is the greatest discovery, and to do the will of God is the greatest achievement. And I wholeheartedly agree with that, and I think you do too. The problem is, it's sometimes it seems very difficult to find what God's will is for our lives. We want to do it, but sometimes we just don't know how to go about really seeking God in the way that will allow him to reveal his will. Uh, people try, and sometimes they try things that uh, get them into trouble. That's why it's very important that we know some principles because people have done things that they at the time believed was God speaking to them only to find out that it was a disaster. And I, I'll share one example with you. Uh, about three weeks ago, this article appeared in the paper entitled Pastor Drowns Trying to Walk on Water. A pastor who tried replicating Jesus' miracle of walking on water has reportedly drowned off the western coast of Africa. Pastor Frank Kabili, 35, told his congregation he could repeat the biblical miracle, and he attempted it from a beach in Gabon's capital in Libreville. He told churchgoers he'd had a revelation that God had spoken to him, that if he had enough faith, he could walk on water like Jesus. An eyewitness told the Glasgow Daily Record. He took his congregation to the beach, saying he could he would walk across the Como estuary, which takes 20 minutes by boat. He walked into the water, which soon passed over his head, and he never came back. Now, that may be an extreme illustration of how that sometimes people can do some very dangerous and even foolish things, thinking that God has revealed his will to them, only to find out it wasn't God at all. It's important for us to understand what we're talking about when we talk about the will of God. When we talk about the will of God, theologians have defined the term will of God as having three meanings. First of all, there is what's called the sovereign will of God. This is God's will as it relates to his eternal plan for his creation. As we have said, the world is moving in a direction toward a destination that has been determined by God from, the, from before the foundation of the world. And so in Genesis, through Revelation, we see God's sovereign will unfolding to us in the pages of Scripture, and then we see it coming to pass in the pages of human history. This is what is known as the sovereign will of God. It is ironclad, it is sure, and it's primarily rooted in his redemptive plan for mankind. In other words, God promised it was his will that someday a Savior would come. That Savior would be born on the earth. He would die on the cross. He would rise at the third day. This was the sovereign will of God, nothing was going to keep Jesus from being born on this earth. Nothing was going to keep him from dying on the cross. No tomb on this earth was going to hold him and keep him from rising from the dead on the third day. And God further said that Jesus is coming back someday to establish his kingdom upon the earth. 
Nothing will keep him from coming back to accomplish his mission. This is the sovereign will of God. It's not subject to human actions or human will. In other words, there's nothing man can do to stop or to change God's sovereign will. That brings us to the second definition of God's will, the moral will of God. Now, God's moral will is found throughout the pages of Scripture. We see it primarily, though, in places like Exodus 20, where God gave us the Ten Commandments. And God's moral will is basically where God is telling us, look, I don't want you to do this. I want you to do that. I don't want you to sin. I want you to love your enemy, that kind of a thing. Now, the Greek word in the New Testament that is often translated will is philema. We talk about God's moral will. Philema is often a Greek word that is used to express that. But the word philema in Greek really means God's heart's desire. God's moral will is actually his heart's desire for all of his children's lives. But unlike his sovereign will, it is not ironclad and absolute. It is not written in stone. In other words, God's moral will is dependent upon our free will, whether we're going to do it or not. God says, look, I don't want you to lie or to steal or commit adultery. We don't have to obey that. Christians can go out and they can lie and steal and have affairs. God is expressing his heart's desire, but he's not forcing us to do it because God does not want robots. God wants us of of our own free will to obey his moral will. Now, that brings us then to the individual will of God, a term that refers to God's plan for an individual life. And this is the one we often think of, of course, when we speak of trying to find God's will. I'm searching for God's will. I'm trying to find God's will. What we're saying is I'm trying to find God's specific or individual will for my life. And so we've defined what the will of God is. Next, how do we discover or discern what the will of God is? Well, last time in our study, we said that there is, first of all, the scriptural will of God before we come to the specific will of God. The scriptural will of God is God's general will that he has expressed in the pages of scripture for all of our lives. Remember, we studied this a few weeks ago. We said, first and foremost, it is God's will that you be saved. So if you're here this morning, and maybe you've just come back to church after many years of being away, because things are going on in your life that you don't quite understand, it may be very rough right now, and so you've got to come back to church to try to find out what God is doing, what what God's will is for your life. Let me say this to you. First and foremost, it's God's will that you be saved. If you have not bowed the knee to Jesus Christ, if you have not said to him, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I confess to you. I'm a sinner. I need you as my Savior. I I ask you to come into my heart and take control of my life. I bow to your Lordship. You're, You're my master now. I want to do what you want me to do. If you've never done that, that's the first thing you need to do. Because everything else that God wants to do in your life or everything else that pertains to his will, well, it's all built upon you coming to Christ accepting him and becoming a child of God. Then you can pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy will be done on earth, so on and so forth. God wants you to be his child before he will begin to actively direct your life. So it's God's will that you be saved. It's also God's will that you be spirit-filled. 
that you be controlled by the Spirit, led by the Spirit, and not by your fleshly desires and so on, selfishness and so on. It's also God's will that you be sanctified. Sanctified is a, is a word that simply means to be set apart. God wants you to come away from the world, and he wants you to come close to him where he can direct your life, use you to glorify his name. He wants you to come away from sin, immorality, to live a holy life. That's what the sanctified life is basically all about, that you might be a vessel of honor, sanctified and fit for the master's use because he wants to use you. Number four, he wants you to be submissive. It is God's will that we be submissive. And by that, we simply mean that you be submissive to authority. God wants us to be good citizens. He wants us to be law-abiding citizens. It's a good witness. Unless, of course, the government says that we are not to do something God has said we're to do or that we are to do something God has said we're not to do, then we must obey God rather than men. Otherwise, we are to be law-abiding, we are to respect authority, we can disagree with our president, we can disagree with our boss, we can disagree with our parents, but you know what? We are to respect who God has made them to be in our lives. You respect the authority and submit to it and pray for that person, but God doesn't want us to be rebellious. And number five, it's the will of God that you be willing to suffer for his name. Now, that's not a pleasant one to think about, but we see that all throughout the New Testament. As a Christian, when you stand up for Jesus, and that's what you're supposed to do, when you say to your friends and co-workers and whatever else in your life, look, I've received Christ, I'm a Christian now, the world is not going to applaud, they're going to turn on you. But Jesus said, blessed are you when they revile you and speak all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. For so they did the true prophets who were before you. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. It demonstrates you belong to me. If the world hates you, it indicates you are now a true child of God. Because if you were of the world, Jesus said, the world would love you. But I've called you out of the world to be mine. Therefore, the world is going to persecute you. Now, at the end of the last study on this, we came to this point and I imagine some of you were thinking, okay, good, fine, those are great biblical principles, I understand that, and so on and so forth, but you have to understand what I'm looking for when I talk about knowing God's will, I want to know what job to take. I want to know what person he wants me to marry. I want to know what ministry he wants me involved in. I want to know, should I buy that new house or not buy it? Or you know, I want to know God's specific will for my life. I understand that. I hear you. But let me say what I said last time. Let me say it again. If you concern yourself with doing what God has already revealed in Scripture as his will, then God is going to lead you in the individual matters of your life. If you reject and do not seek to do what God has already told you is his will in Scripture, why should God lead you any further in the individual matters of your life? In other words, if you're not doing what God has already said, you're living in rebellion. Rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft. Stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. How can God bless witchcraft, iniquity, and idolatry in our lives? He wants to lead us, but he wants us to be obedient to the best of our ability to what he's already said. If you're doing that, then yes, we need to then look at what it means to know God's specific will. And I will warn you up front. Not everyone agrees that God has a specific or an individual will for our lives as Christians. There are many Christian pastors, professors, and authors who believe that 
if we just make sure that our decisions don't violate anything that God has already revealed in his word, then it doesn't really matter to God who we marry, as long as they're a believer, because that's what the Bible says, we're only to marry in the Lord. doesn't matter to God what job you take, as long as it's not anything that's sinful or, or illegal. They say that God is not really concerned with the specific details of our lives. All he's concerned about is that you obey his general will, that he has laid out in Scripture, his moral will, and so on. And if you do that, you really have the freedom to take whatever job you want, marry whomever you want. It really doesn't matter to God. Now, one of the big reasons that these folks feel this way is because of all the hopeless subjectivity that has gone into finding the will of God by many Christians. I personally have heard of Christians who have made important life decisions, important life decisions, based on everything from messages on license plates to cloud formations that they believed God was using to reveal his will to them. I actually had a lady come to me in the church years ago, and based on a cloud formation that she saw some image that God was using to speak to her about something, she was ready to make a very important life decision based on a cloud formation. And certainly, I'm not opposed to God using something even as as insignificant seemingly as a license plate to confirm his will. I mean, if you start seeing license plates, if if Pastor Brian and Julie were, were praying about going to Tennessee and everywhere they looked, they saw license plates that said Tennessee, which is not real common up here in Illinois, I'm not discounting that God couldn't use that. But you don't make important life decisions based on one lonely license plate. If they're praying about going to Tennessee and they're driving on the road and they see a license plate in front of them that says, Go Bears, they can't say, Whoa, wait a minute. Bears, there are bears in Tennessee. Go. We're to go to Tennessee. I mean, it gets a little goofy sometimes what people think God is using to speak to them. And then they go ahead and make an important life decision based on something like that, and they get into all kinds of trouble and wonder why God has misled them. God is misleading you. He wants to lead your life. And while I feel that God doesn't want to micromanage our lives, in other words, I don't think it really really matters to God what you have for breakfast, as long as it's not bad for you. And I don't think it matters to God what you wear to work every day, as long as it's not something improper or immoral. I think he leaves those decisions up to us. But I do believe that he wants to lead our lives in matters that will affect our lives or affect the lives of others around us in a substantive way, I think he definitely wants to lead us. And I think he wants to lead us not just in the big decisions, but even in the relatively small ones. No, he doesn't care about what color socks you wear to church today. That, that's, that's ridiculous. But there are a lot of decisions that are not that small, and yet of moderate size, I believe God definitely wants to be involved in. And I believe that because of all the scriptures that indicate how concerned he is about us, down to the smallest detail. Peter said that God wants us to cast all of our cares upon him, all of our cares, because he cares about us. He cares about us so much that Jesus said that God knows the number of all the hairs on our heads. When you think about it, every time you shower or comb your hair, he's got to readjust that number. Now, why would Jesus tell us that? Why is it important for us to know that God knows the very number of hairs on our head? It's not important to God how many hairs you have on your head. It's important that we know how much God cares about us, that he cares about us down to the smallest detail. 
Don't you think he wants to lead your life down to some very small details? Well, Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, he said, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done. Jeremiah 10, verse 23. O Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. Jeremiah acknowledged that we don't have the capacity to direct our own steps in life. We need to look to God. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all that you do, and he will direct your paths. Down to the smallest detail. Paul said in Colossians chapter 1, verse 9, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. It seems ridiculous to me that if God did not have a specific will for our lives, that Paul would have been praying that the Colossians, that God would reveal to them what his will was for their lives. I definitely believe that God has got an individual will for our lives. I definitely think it matters to God what job you take because you're going to be impacting people in that job. I definitely believe that it matters to God who you marry. Because who you're yoked to is going to depend or or definitely uh, affect how you live for God and serve God. I definitely think God is involved. I think he wants to, to, to lead you where to move, what job to take, what ministry to get involved in. I think these are not small matters in the eyes of God. You say, okay, you sold me. How do I find it then? All right, good. Exactly what I was wanting to hear. How do I find God's specific will then? Well, first, let me say this. If you really want to know God's will, you must be willing to do his will even before he reveals it. Because God sees your heart. And when a lot of Christians say, God, I really want to know your will, what they're actually saying, and God sees it, God, I really want your will if it agrees with what I want to do. So often we think we want God's will, but God sees our heart. And he knows that if he wishes to reveal his will, We wouldn't receive it because we want to do what we want to do. And so God will oftentimes withhold his guidance to break us because he does want to reveal his will to us. But he wants us to be sincere. He wants us to be willing to do whatever he is going to reveal no matter what it is. Jesus made this very clear in John 7, 17, where he said, If anyone chooses to do God's will, he will find out whether my teaching comes from God, whether I speak on my own. And in that context, the Lord Jesus was basically saying, look, if you want to know if the Bible is God's word, if you want to know that my words are from the Father, all you have to do is have a sincere heart to really want to do God's will. He'll reveal whether or not the Bible is, in fact, the true word of God. And I've used this on Job's Witnesses, Mormons, other people. But another principle that is hidden behind that one that comes out in that statement is this. That knowing the will of God consists largely in being willing to do it. Knowing the will of God consists largely in being willing to do it. You say, okay, I really do want God's will. What's next? Okay. Well, let me tell you a little story first. F.B. Meyer, great man of God with the Lord now, great author and Bible teacher, and maybe you've read some of his books. He's just a delightful guy. He tells the story of how 
one starless night while he was crossing the Irish Channel. He stood on the deck next to the captain, and he asked the captain how he could tell where the narrow channel was that led into Holyhead Harbor since there was no moonlight, no starlight. It was black. You couldn't see anything out there. And F.B. Meyer said, Captain, I mean, how do you know where that narrow channel is that leads into the harbor? You've got to run the ship aground if you, if you miss that narrow channel. And the captain said, you see those three lights? They are channel markers. All of them must line up together as one. And when we see them so united, we know the exact position of the harbor's mouth. So they had placed channel markers, which were lights. And as you position the ship, as those three lights came right in line with each other, you knew, even though you couldn't see the narrow channel that led into the, to the harbor, you knew you were lined up. Now, I'd like to pick up on that. Of course, if you've ever said under my teaching, you know that I'm never satisfied with just three. I'd like to expand that illustration a little to six things. Not that all of these things have to line up for every decision we face, but certainly the more important the decision, the more we will want most, if not all of these markers to line up if we're going to find the will of God and not run our lives on, on the, the rocks, you might say. The first one is, there needs to be a definite conviction or burden in your heart that God wants you to do a certain thing or take a certain course of action. There's got to be a burden there, a conviction. Now, be careful, because the Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And certainly when we give our hearts to Christ, he gives us a new one, but that heart can also be deceived. You cannot make important decisions based on some inner impulse or some inner voice alone. I'm not saying you can't take those things into consideration, but you can't make important decisions based on just a little inner voice. Because as God said to Jeremiah about the false prophets in Israel's day, he said, they speak out of the imagination of their own heart and not from the mouth of the Lord. So you might be hearing something that comes right out of the imagination of your own heart. You might be hearing the voice of the devil or a demon. When Jesus told his disciples that he was going to the cross soon, on the third day he would rise again. Peter took him aside and rebuked him and said, Lord, this isn't going to happen to you. And Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. You are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of man. And there are times when we could be hearing from the devil, thinking it is the voice of God. Or we could be hearing from the voice of God. Elijah found out one day as he was seeking to hear God's voice, God spoke to him in a very still, small voice, just a gentle whisper. And that was the voice of God. So I'm not saying that God doesn't speak in our hearts. I'm not saying that he doesn't try to get our attention through impulses or burdens of some kind. But alone, they are not enough to base important life decisions on. All right, what else do we need? Well, a second and probably the most important marker of all of them is whatever you're planning to do, whatever you have a burden to do, it can't violate the clear commands of the Word of God. I mean, that's just obvious, right? Nothing can be the will of God that is contrary to the Word of God. The same God that is leading you now is the same God who inspired the Bible back then. 
And he would never tell you to do something that would contradict what he's already revealed in his word. It just isn't going to happen. It's as one author said, and I quote, God will never lead a husband to leave his wife for a more spiritual woman or a wife to leave her husband for a more spiritual man. It won't happen. This is not God. I have come across more than one person in my ministry who actually felt God was telling him to divorce his wife, to marry another woman, and she was convinced God was telling her to divorce her husband, to marry this guy because, after all, our spouses are very unspiritual, and God wants us to have a spiritual partner, doesn't he? No, God wants you to be faithful to the commitment you made to the spouse you have. God would never tell you to divorce your spouse based on the fact that you don't think they're spiritual enough, and you feel God has led somebody else into your life that's more spiritual. That's not God speaking to you. That's the devil. This author went on to say, God will never lead you to cheat on your income tax in order to give more money to the church. Although I'm convinced some pastors may feel that in some cases he might. I'm not one of those. Obeying the will of God revealed in his word is a foundational principle behind God leading you in the individual matters of your life. Again, we quoted last time Psalm 37 verse 23, which says the steps of a good man, a good woman are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his way. A good man implies somebody who is a child of God, first of all, a man or a woman who has given their heart to Christ, and then a man or a woman in Christ who are seeking to obey God to the very best of their ability. That's the definition of a good man or woman in God's eyes. And God says, look, the steps of a good man or woman are ordered by the Lord. You know, if you seek to live your life in harmony with God's moral commandments, I am convinced that God will guide you in ways that you won't even realize at times God is really guiding you. But he will because you are living for him, you're living in obedience to him. And so even when you don't even sense his presence leading you, because you want his will and you're honoring him with your life, God will direct you in a very special and unique way. He'll do it because if you're close to him, you'll have the heart of the Father, you'll have the mind of Christ, and you'll have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. And in that regard, God will be able to direct you in the individual matters of your life. Let me just say this. If you are not obeying God's moral will, you're going to have a very difficult time discerning God's will for your life individually. And the reason is because you'll be out of fellowship with him. If two people are living together who call themselves Christians and then come to the pastor one day and say, well, you know, we think maybe we should get married. We feel like it's what God wants. My counsel to them is, you know what? Right now you're out of fellowship with God. You don't even have the faintest idea what God wants. You really want God's will? You separate Repent, get your hearts right before God, begin to seek him, and then he'll direct you. And if he chooses to bring you back together to be married, great. But there is no way you're going to be able to discern God's voice in your rebellion and sin. It's just, you'll hear voices. They might be the imagination of your own heart. They might be the devil, but it really won't be the Holy Spirit. Number three, you must stay in close fellowship with the Lord. You must stay in close fellowship with the Lord. This is a very important principle. In Psalm 32, verse 8, the psalmist said, God speaking, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Now, we've talked about this before. 
Have you ever been talking with somebody, looking at them in the eyes, you know, just face to face, and something happened in the room? Somebody came in, and they wanted to direct your attention over there, but they didn't want to make a big you know, turn and point, and so they're kind of just moving their eyes to the side there, and you're like, <laughs> see, that's their way of subtly trying to direct you in that direction. Now, what the psalmist went on to say, God says, don't be like the dumb mule or horse who has to be controlled by bit and bridle or else they won't go where you want them to go. Of course, a bit and a bridle are designed as instruments to inflict pain in the mouth of the horse or the mule because they're too stupid to go where you want them to go based on some subtle direction. So you have to inflict pain to get them to go in a certain direction. God says, I don't want to lead your life by bringing painful circumstances into your life. I want you to be so close to me, living in such intimate fellowship, that in very subtle ways I'm able to direct your life. It means you're in the Word constantly. It means throughout your day you're thinking about the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him. Think about Him. Uh, uh, seek Him. Bring Him into every decision and He will direct your paths. Every day throughout the day you're like, Lord, uh, you're sensitive to where the Holy Spirit might be leading you. Lord, you want me to speak to so-and-so at lunch today? They seemed a little bit receptive today. Uh, you know, when I first got to work and I mentioned some things that you had, you know, in your word that I read this morning, they seemed really open. Lord, you want me to pursue that? Just staying in fellowship with God, spending some time in the word before work, and then throughout the day thinking about that passage of scripture and how God may want to apply it in your own life. I guarantee you, if you stay close to God, if God is going to direct you with his eye, he's got to catch your eye. You got to look to him throughout the day, consciously wanting to be directed by him, not just winging it all day at the end of the day, praying, well, I hope I found your will today, Lord, being led every step of the way. So you must stay in close fellowship with the Lord. And of course, this would also include coming to church, regularly being around God's people, uh, being involved maybe with a small group or just uh, some personal study time on your own, but, but really staying close to the Lord. Number four, need to ask yourself, will this decision be detrimental to your family or to your walk with God? In other words, is what I'm thinking about doing, is it a wise thing to do? Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5, he said, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Charles Stanley, Pastor Charles Stanley, put it this way, and I quote. He said, God has called us to ask of every invitation, every opportunity, every business transaction, every family decision, this important question. Is this the wise thing to do? In light of my present state of mind, in light of the present state of my relationship with my wife or my husband, in light of what's going on at work, in light of what's going on in my life right now, is this the wise thing for me to do? In light of where I want to be in the future, in light of the kind of marriage and the kind of family I want to have, in light of where I want to be financially, in light of where I want to be in terms of my career, in light of where I want to be in terms of my ability to serve God, is this the wise thing to do? This question, he said, will quickly reveal your motive. 
It will reveal the selfishness in your relationships. It will reveal the greed in your financial decisions, end quote. Now, let me say this. The things that I'm giving to you are principles. They are not commandments. The difference between a commandment and a principle is this. Commandments are written in stone. Principles are not. They are somewhat flexible. There are times when God may lead you to do something that on the surface seems foolish. But God has brought other markers into your life that indicate clearly that he wants you to take this course of action. I always think of Jim Elliott. Of course, Jim Elliott as a young guy I heard was studying uh, to be a doctor in medical school. And then God laid in his heart that God wanted him to go to Ecuador to be a missionary to the Aka Indians. When his family heard what Jim was planning on doing, taking his young wife down to the jungles of Ecuador, they jumped all over him. They said, Jim, are you crazy? Don't be a fool. You're giving up security and safety to be a missionary in the jungles of Ecuador? Jim, don't be a fool. To which Jim gave that classic response. He said, that man is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Sometimes God will lead us to do things that seem foolish to those around us. If God is leading you to do something like that, you had better, though, make sure that the other markers are coming into line because you don't want to go half-cocked into some dangerous situation to show everybody what a wonderful Christian you are. Look at me. I'm going to Africa. I'm going to be a missionary. All you other losers, you know, you're sitting here doing nothing for God. I'm going to go out into the jungles. Well, you know what? I tell you what, I would not want to be in the jungles of Africa outside the will of God. I don't mind being in the will of God in the jungles of Africa. But I don't want to be outside the will of God to prove I'm some hotshot. But in general, this is a good principle. I mean, if you're thinking about doing something like going out, selling the house that you have now, which is adequate, almost paid for to buy some big, big house you don't really need, what's your motivation? Is this a wise thing to do? Is it going to put you in financial problems? Do you really need that size of a house? What is your motive for buying that? You know, in general, that's a good principle. Is it a wise thing to do? Remembering, though, that sometimes our God will lead us to do things that don't seem very wise, but the foolishness of God is always wiser than men. Number five. Do the circumstances indicate that God is leading you? As you pray about important decisions, keep looking for open or closed doors. God leads us through open and closed doors. Paul the Apostle said in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 9, he said, For a great and effective door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Look, Listen, just because sometimes people think, well, there's so much... So many problems, this can't be an open door. Sometimes when God opens a door for ministry or a new opportunity and there's a lot of opposition, that doesn't mean God is not in it. It just simply means the devil is not happy about it. You got to be careful. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, Furthermore, when I came to Troas, Paul said to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened to me by the Lord. And he goes on. Colossians 4, verse 3, Meanwhile, praying also for us, Paul said to the church of Colossae, pray for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in chains. God will lead us through open doors. 
but he will also lead us through closed doors. Acts 16, verses 10, uh, 6 through 10. It says, Now when they had gone to Phrygia, which is uh, Paul's missionary team, and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mysiah, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysiah, they came to Troas. So Luke is saying that Paul's missionary team had come from the east, so they couldn't go back that way. They wanted to go north, the Spirit forbid them. They tried to go south, the Spirit forbid them. He was bouncing off of closed doors. What's left? Well, the only open door was in front of him, to the west. So they pursued ahead. You say, well, how did God close the doors? I don't know. Maybe they couldn't find a ship that was sailing up that way or something happened. Maybe there was something going on that prohibited Paul's missionary team from moving in that direction. It was a closed door. We don't know what specifically it was. All we know is that the Lord said he closed the door. And if you're open to the will of God, you'll know when a door is closed. And by the way, you'll never get into trouble if you want to do God's will. The only time you're going to get into trouble is when God closes a door and you kick it open. If you take a wrong step off the path that God wants you to walk on, he will immediately let you know. If your heart is tender, you'll go, whoops, sorry, Lord, right back on the right path, moving ahead. God wants to direct you. And the only way you're going to get off into some left field problem is if you kick the doors open that God has closed. Now, what are open doors exactly? Well, they're favorable circumstances that kind of suddenly come across our paths when we're praying about what God's will is in a certain situation. And of course, a closed door is when the circumstances don't seem very favorable in our doing what we want to do. I'll give you a couple examples of an open door. Last May at our men's retreat, we had Bill Ritchie come out to speak. Bill is a pastor from one of our Calvaries in Vancouver, Washington. And he was saying how that years ago, he was working a job which had good health insurance and all, which was good because he has a very sick son. His son, Jeff, is very sick. In fact, he's actually been on the Discovery Channel. He's got such a bizarre uh, case. Uh, thousands and hundreds of thousands of dollars spent on medical doctor bills. And God was leading Bill. Uh, Bill thought that God was leading him to quit his job to go full-time in ministry. Of course, this presented a huge problem. I mean, Lord, what do I do about Jeff? How am I going to, if I quit my job, I lose my health insurance. How is... I'm going to take care of my son, Lord. Lord, I don't mind serving you. You know that. But I, I don't have the resources to pay for Jeff's medical bills. A few days later, he was reading the local newspaper, and an insurance company that wanted to make inroads into that area of the country said, look, we'll give everyone a 30-day window. Anybody who wants to become a member of our health insurance will take anybody, no questions asked, pre-existing conditions and all, for 30 days. That was an open door. So he thanked the Lord, quit his job, went ahead with the health insurance that God had provided, and so on. A couple years ago, when we began to feel like God was maybe leading us onto the radio, we took some initial steps. One of the guys in the church knew somebody in the radio industry. He got an appointment for us with one of the guys at WYLL here in town, sat down over lunch, and he said, look, we have one slot open. That's all. But it's this amount of money every month. Now that was a huge amount of money for a little church. And you know what? Where God guides, he provides, but you want to make sure God's guiding on this. So we began to pray. All right, Lord, we're, we are sure open to taking big steps in faith, but Lord, we definitely want to make sure you're in this. 
So we brought it to you that Sunday. We didn't ask for any money. We just asked you to pray about it. Not what to give, but that God would have us even go pursue this. Every Monday morning, my secretary goes to our post office box and gathers the mail for the last week. Well, Monday she went, got the mail that had been delivered sometime during that last week. In the mail was a letter from a family that had come to our church years ago, had moved out of the area years ago, stayed in contact with us. As I opened up the envelope, a check fell out for $10,000. Now, we're a little church. We don't get offerings like that. In fact, we never got an offering like that <laughs> in the mail. And to us, it seemed as though God was opening a door. And these are the kind of things you look for. I mean, they're going to be different and everybody's, you know, God has got all kinds of ways of opening doors and confirming things to you. But do the circumstances, are they lining up that this seems definitely to be the will of God? Things are working out. Doors are opening. That kind of thing. And finally, number six. Seek God for some confirmation from the word. Seek God for some confirmation from the scriptures. And sometimes you're reading the Bible, you're praying about a decision, and you're just reading the Bible, doing your devotions, and something just jumps off the page at you. No, the Bible is not going to say, uh, Joe, those two jobs that, you know, the, the Ford and General Motors, take the General Motors job. No, it's not going to say that. But God has a way of taking Scripture and it just kind of jumps off the page and you just know the Holy Spirit is speaking to you personally. Haven't you experienced that? And sometimes some blessed saint, you know, doing their devotions that morning, not knowing what you're going through, God lays you on their heart, gives them a Scripture, they walk up to you, have no idea what the Scripture means to you. They don't know what's happening. Give you the Scripture, say, look, this morning, my devotions, I was just, you know, doing my devotions. God laid you on my heart, told me to give you the Scripture. You open it up and go, oh, my gosh, this is exactly what I need to hear. This is incredible. Where the Spirit of God is just totally confirming something through the Word. That's a very important one. But let me say this to you. When you are seeking God's will, especially in an important decision, the most important thing to do is to wait for God to confirm it and then to be willing to do whatever God tells you to do. I think of Ezra. It says in Ezra chapter 7, verse 10, For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord, the word of God, and to do it. See, that's the secret, guys. You have to prepare your heart to say, Lord, I want your will. Not my will, but your will be done. And you have to mean that with all your heart. If you really mean that with all your heart, then as you open the Bible to study it, you'll be looking for God to confirm whatever he wants you to do. You won't look for any kind of a justification for what you want to do. Guys, you can find a verse somewhere in the scriptures that will pretty much say whatever you want it to say. I mean, if you pull a scripture out of context and torture it enough, it'll scream whatever you want it to say. You don't want to do that. What you want to do is have the right heart to be led by God for his glory in his will, and then you open the word and look for a confirmation. And if you're contemplating marrying an unbeliever, it should be obvious what God wants you to do, but don't be surprised if he leads you to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, where God says, don't be equally yoked together with an unbeliever. Now, when you read that in the scripture, it should become obvious what God is saying to you. But if you write that off or ignore it, you're going to get into trouble. 
And it's not God's will that you be misled. He wants to lead you. So bad, he wants to lead you. And the reason that so many Christians get into serious trouble is not because they can't find the will of God or can't understand the will of God, is that they're not willing to do what God has already revealed. Now, next week, we'll kind of just finish up, tie up some loose ends and get some general things that uh, out of the way that we need to talk about. But let me just close by saying this. As I said at the beginning of this study, all of these markers do not have to line up with every decision. That's true. You'd be wise, though, not to use just one or two, especially on important decisions. In fact, when it comes to important decisions, uh, you're going to want to wait until God begins to bring more and more confirmation. Oh, but I have to hurry. I've got to make this decision quick. The opportunity is going to be gone soon. Listen to me very carefully. He that believes shall not make haste. If God is truly leading you, he will give you time to pray and to seek him. It's the devil that wants you to rush into a decision, especially a decision of who to marry. I can't tell you how many people have been burned by marrying the wrong person when they looked so good. It has to be God. Oh, I've never felt this way. Well, give it some time. You're going to feel another way. (laughs) You know, you want to make sure it's not hormones. It's the Holy Spirit that's leading you. But you're going to want to wait for God. Give him enough time to give you enough markers so that his will is clear. Listen, beyond a reasonable doubt. You will never know with 100% certainty what God's will is for your life. But if you get all the markers lined up and it's clear beyond a reasonable doubt, well, that's where faith comes in then. What's left is a matter of faith. But make sure you don't rush into decisions without really taking the time to seek God, that he can bring confirmation, begin to line up those markers beyond a reasonable doubt.